Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, our partners at BetOnline, they continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. And get all your latest sports developments, including updated odds in the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and even next season's NFL futures, only at BetOnline, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs. And don't forget, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games, too, as well. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code promo code believe b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit it's bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming into the pod we have an old friend coming back on it's been a little while but we're so happy to have him back bring his insight and perspectives he's the digital enterprise producer at wgn radio wgn news now wgn tv and he's also balcony brew reviews Bon vivant himself is Larry Holly. Welcome back to the pod, Larry. Hey, man, it's great to be here. Hope you're doing well. Uh, we're doing well. Everything's going great. We're, you know, we're about 30-ish games into the Major League Baseball season. And today I'd like to kind of just do a little bit of a Chicago sports buffet. So I hope you grab a nice big plate and a nice big appetite because we're going to hit a little <laughs> bit of everything here. If it's all right, let's start with the Chicago White Sox. We're recording this on a Wednesday right now. I believe they're currently losing. I think it's one nothing right now to the Royals. Zach Grinke in the Royals. Uh, I'm not dating myself. This is a current pod that is still happening. But let's just start it like this, Larry. Um, if I were, to, if you were at a bar right now and you slid up to a table, hey, bartender, bring me a drink, and they bring you a nice big glass of White Sox, a White Sox cocktail of your choice, slides the drink over to you. Is that glass half full or half empty for you right now? It's still half full for me because I do have faith that the White Sox will be better. I think the start has been probably as rocky as you believed it could be. And it's been inconsistent. The team had a major losing streak, then had a major winning streak. Uh, they had a game where they lost a six-run lead in the ninth inning. They've had other games that they've been able to pull out late. It's been all over the place for a team that you expected to, in my mind, I put them at 91 and 97 games to begin the year. It's been a little surprising in a few ways. Uh, you know, they haven't hit great. Uh, I was talking to James Fox of uh, Future Sox uh, for an episode of WGN News Now Sports Talk, you know, kind of saying the same thing. They really haven't hit that well, but there is some faith that they will hit well. I think one thing that's very interesting to me is to see how this starting rotation is going to play out. Remember, they made the decision not to resign or even offer Carlos Rodon a new contract. And now they've kind of left themselves a little bit of a lurch with Lance Lynn being obviously out of the lineup here, at least until June 6th. He was officially put on the 60-day DL today. So you at least now you have a date to know where he could come back. And also you've seen Dallas Keuchel not be able to turn things around and come back to the pitcher that he was back in Houston. He now more is a candidate to be DFA'd instead of being a guy you might see be in the rotation all the way through December. So to me, I, I, the hitters are a thing. I think the starting rotation is going to be interesting to see how they play out. There's been inconsistency there. Once again, there's been injuries. Aloy is out again. You lost Yohan Moncada for a few weeks. Joe Kelly, a big part of that bullpen, was not there for a long time. He's just getting back up to speed. And the White Sox had a lot of games against division foes and didn't do a lot in them. A chance for them to possibly build that early lead hasn't happened. So it's a half-empty start with a half-full feeling as to where the team may go from here. I think I land on your side in terms of the half-full uh, perspective. Lance Lynn coming back, too, as well, is also going to help a rotation. Johnny Cueto, if he can just 
eat some bullets, right, for this rotation. Yeah. It's a long season. Again, I, I, I'm curious to see what they do with Michael Kopech moving forward. They have talked previously about capping him on innings. And how does that play into the mix of hopefully a team that has playoff aspirations? The other part that I'm kind of interested in, I'd love to get your take on is I'm of the opinion that this team is not built to be strong defensively. Now, can they improve as the season goes along? I think Tim Anderson is a better shortstop than he has showed. Luis Robert is is a gold glove caliber in center field. I guess my give and pull a little bit in relation to the starting rotation is you can have a starting rotation that strikes out a lot of hitters which could, in theory, cover up some of your defensive problems. Well, also, how long can you mask those defensive problems before it becomes an issue? Am I making something out of nothing with the defense? Do you see improvement there? Or is this something that, honestly, has been kind of going on for quite some time now with this White Sox team? They've had their issues. I mean, Tim Anderson struggles at shortstop, and he had some a little bit in the past. That was an aberration. That was really weird. It was a stretch that came up. And I credit Tim for for doing really well at the plate, despite having that happen. I think that cleans itself up. Still waiting to see what Aloy is going to be in that outfield, because Aloy has had not only some troubles out there, but he's also been injured out there in the field. And it's kind of left an idea of, all right, where where is he going to be in left? I think Aloy still has the potential to be a superstar in this league. I think that that's there. But I think you're going to see him really contributing with that bat. And again, coming back to the hitting, I really think the White Sox are going to be in the position that we talked about last year, where they're going to be able to bash their way to victories. They have that lineup to do it. And you mentioned Luis Robert, who I think is an MVP candidate, maybe right now, if if things work out and he were to have a really strong finish to the season. I think there is something to the defense to worry about, but I, it's not of, of super concern. I think the Sox have other areas to which that they can have strength in that I think is going to make up for it. And I expect guys like Anderson, I don't expect that to happen a lot. And I believe that they're hitting and eventually their pitching, I think is going to come along to do it. I think that there's enough on the team right now to cover that personally. I I think your other areas, you know, could be, you know, seeing if Yasmani Grandal is going to hit better, if Jose Abreu eventually is going to come around and hit a little bit better. I, you know, he's been a little hot and cold early in the year. And then seeing kind of where the bullpen ends up landing, you know, where, you know, are you going to get the best out of Joe Kelly? Will you have consistency out of Kendall Graveman? I, I believe in my heart that Liam Hendricks is going to be a good closer. And he's shown that for a pretty healthy amount of this time this year. Uh, he had a rough opening day. He had a rough game in that six run lead they lost. That was a bad day, but I think he's going to be pretty good. Just in my opinion, maybe I think too strongly of the roster itself. I, I do believe that there is a hole at second base that Josh Harrison hasn't really fit as to what you might have hoped that would be. And I think, you know, when you're looking at right field, there's, there's still some questions there as to who's going to fit that. And Pollock's a great addition. I think they got a lot out of what they were able to get for Kimbrell. That's an interesting thing. And he brings out a pretty strong glove there. You know, hitting-wise, you'll, you'll see what you see of, of what you may be able to get out of there. But I think at the end of the day, I, I still think there's enough strength to the point where the fielding's not going to be that much of a concern. And again, as far as Anderson, that was an aberration. And also on top of that, you know, it's that funny time of the season, Larry, where if you go back, wind the clocks back a year, I believe the White Sox were 22 and 14 at this time, and they're a 500 baseball team now. It is kind of funny that the White Sox had such a fantastic first half of last season and by and large played 500 baseball all the way into the playoffs. You can make the case that if that scenario is flipped a bit and they are riding hot into that October baseball, I think White Sox fans start to feel uh, differently about it. 
and and I, and I agree with you. I think I think this lineup is going to score runs. I guess maybe my follow up. You mentioned Pollock, and mm-hmm. I think he is one of those interesting keys to a lineup where we talk all the time about the Andersons and the Luis Roberts, and when Aloy comes back, and of course Grandal and Abreu are not going to combine to hit 180 all season mm-hmm. long, which yeah. I think is what they're doing right now. So, yeah. But yeah, out of Pollock. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, maybe the second base position as a whole. Which one are you kind of looking at that might be a key to this lineup? Because I see them perhaps needing to figure out a way to lengthen this lineup a little bit. It's a little top-heavy, in my opinion. We're six through nine. It gets a little, on the day-to-day, gets a little more dicey. Yeah, and that's the Andrew Vaughn thing is really interesting because I am very curious when the White Sox were looking you know, to possibly get a Manaya, maybe even a Montas, if, if, or maybe anybody else, if they were asking for Vaughn and they said, no, like we don't want to let Andrew Vaughn go. And Vaughn is a very interesting player because you know you don't know what the real long-term future of Jose Abreu is going to be in a White Sox uniform. I think he's going to stay a while, but what if he does decide to do that? What if he doesn't want to play first base anymore? That would be a departure because he really likes first base. Vaughn would be a potential replacement there. I mean, that was his position in college. So I'm really curious to see, in my personal opinion, I would say second base. I think you have Pollock in the infield for his, for his defense, excuse me, for the outfield for his defense. You have Gavin Sheets, you have Vaughn who have shown some really great moments here and are still very young players. But at second base, you know, who's really there? Who's your person? Is Harrison going to be able to find maybe some of what he had before to fill that? Are you going to get something out of Leori Garcia? You know, Leori Garcia was probably ended up being one of their great, you know, really free, you know, free agent signings this year. He was yeah. the guy, but you know, they ended up being how that ended up playing out. So, you know, really curious to see how second base fills itself out. That really is a position that the White Sox really haven't been able to fill since Nick Madrigal got hurt. And people were skeptical as that Madrigal was going to play that position full-time if that was going he was going to be the the answer there you know they traded for Cesaro Hernandez that didn't really quite work out he wasn't terrible but he didn't give you the uh, you know the average or even the really the pop that you're really looking for he was a good you know good fielder out in the you know out there for the Sox as they finished the season and of course made the playoffs I guess the long the short answer I tend to go a little bit long for me the second base position I, I think right field may fill itself because you again you have the two powers out there in Aloy and you have Luis but it would be really interesting to see what the White Sox might do if they want to acquire somebody for right field but but they do have two young guys out there and at second base you have a hole you really don't have anybody there that you go wow that really stands out that that could be some player that could really do something second base is really interesting to me and to see how they can fill that well I enjoy your answer because you are really illustrating kind of what the situation that the White Sox have either found themselves or put themselves in, right, where they had, in theory, the future second baseman in Nick Madrigal on the team. They traded him for Craig Kimbrell. This offseason, I think there was rumors going around about Kimbrell for Jean Chagura at the Phillies. I got very excited for that. Whether that was going to happen or not, we'll never know because it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a Cesar Hernandez later, an extension to Lurie Garcia later, now you have Josh Harrison there. Now you're still looking for that piece. And when they traded Kimbrell, they decided to do A.J. Pollock instead uh, maybe finding a second baseman, it is going to be curious to see how they target that moving forward. Just maybe throwing it out there real quick before we move on. There's a guy that the White Sox are playing tonight, and I keep asking myself every single year, mm-hmm. is this guy going to stay on this team over and over again? It's Whit Merrifield. Is it possible that they could trade within the division? How prohibitive or how high do you think that cost could possibly be? Because it's been high in the past, but – the years keep moving on. The Royals keep going nowhere. Whit Merrifield is a talented player and would immediately fill that void. 
It's an interesting thought. I think anybody in the division can do it. I mean, the Cubs and Sox have traded in town and, you know, that didn't happen for a little while. I think anything is possible. How much the Royals might would depend upon where they may be standing. I don't know if they're a group that could put it together and maybe compete for a division championship. I always say nothing, you never say never. What the White Sox might be willing to give up at this point, you have to really think about that because you are in your championship window now. So you're where the, the Cubs were and a number of other clubs were. In my opinion, I, I think this, I think anything's on the table for the White Sox at this point. Could they trade in the division? We'll see. I think anything is possible. Again, you are in the window. Is it more unlikely? I personally think so, but where the Sox get their second baseman from last year? No, so, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, in the, so in the and division. you don't yeah. really know at that point where I think that could be possible. So I think anything is possible. And I think anybody could be on the line for the White Sox at this point. I don't know, you know, maybe Colas or Cespedes might be off the off the table for them. Uh, and I think probably just those maybe only are the only two guys. I don't know if they'd be willing to part with a Colson Montgomery at this point. You know, with a crochet, he's out for the year, but obviously he could be traded. You know, a team might look at it and go, okay, we get a prospect for next year. A lot could be on the table right now because, again, the White Sox are in that window. They're in that window to win. Anything is possible. So you can expand your mind a little bit with uh, what they might do to add to the club. I don't know if at this point last year we would have saw Craig Kimbrell being part of that because you had Liam Hendricks and Liam Hendricks was doing very well. But Rick Hahn and the Sox had an idea of how to build an ideal bullpen. They saw a chance to put, you know, really they saw a chance to have your sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth places in that bullpen taken care of. So you've got Kopech for one to two innings. You have Kimbrell for the eighth. You get Hendricks for the ninth. It just didn't work with Kimbrell. He didn't adapt to that spot and was not nearly the player that he, excuse me, the pitcher that he was when he was with the Cubs last year when he was pretty much unhittable for most of that season. But anything's on the table. It is. You're in the window. Anything's possible. Yeah, and Kimbrell's been fantastic this year for the Dodgers in the ninth inning role. So, you know, go figure. And, yeah, no, it is funny. And White Sox fans probably need to prepare themselves. You know, I, I think about a guy like a Gavin Sheets in mind. You know what I mean? The guy mm-hmm. who he might dangle because heading into last year, Madrigal, as I previously mentioned, was a future second baseman in the organization, a crown jewel, a first-round pick. And I think they had high hopes for Cody Hoyer, too, as well. And he ends up getting packaged and shipped out of the deal. Uh, we did mention uh, Crosstown Trades. Jonathan Villar, too, as well, if he continues to maybe hit and show some pop, maybe that's a little bit more of a, a lower-cost opportunity, too, as well, for the White Sox to perhaps target. Um, let's get on the train. Let's go to Addison real quick. Um, you know, not too much to talk about with this Chicago Cubs team that has been playing better over the last week or so. Um, let's start with this here and start it broad. Um, what perhaps has surprised you, positive or negative, the most about the Chicago Cubs this year? Oh, it's interesting. I think there's, you know, kind of thinking about, I think the most positive thing is Wilson Contreras because he's really hitting well. He got his 100th homer the other night, uh, did so with a grand slam, did so with two extra base hits in an inning, which just hasn't happened very much for the Cubs. I believe it was, you know, I'll have to take a look at this. I believe it was the first time in the expansion era, so that'd be post-61, where they had a player uh, pull that off in the inning. That would be a grand slam and then extra base hit all in the, the, the course of one frame. And Go real ahead. quick, if I may, there's another stat too as well, or I believe he's the first DH to lead off a game to hit a grand slam or to drive. There's something like that it's too in Major League history. Were, yeah, there were a couple of there were a couple of weird stats there that, that came up with that. But, in, you know, I think Wilson's been probably the biggest thing for me is someone who I think you look at and go, wow, that 
you know, that's been great. I, I think it's been interesting. You know, I think Seiya Suzuki's probably done about what I thought, maybe a little bit more. You don't know how the transition's going to go. He had a wonderful career in Japan, not only at the plate, but in the field. You know, he was incredible. I think he's done, you know, pretty well. You know, taking a look and, and trying to kind of go through the lineup as well. You know, the pitching staff, you know, I had David Robertson's been pretty good closer. Um, unfortunately, the game I went to against the Dodgers, he gave up a, a long homer to Mookie Betts. Uh, oh, yeah. But he's been decent. Uh, he's been decent, you know, I think out of, out of the bullpen. Uh, there have been some other, you know, Justin Steele's had his moments. He certainly had the 10 strikeout game uh, the other day that I, I thought was, you know, was really great. And I, it's kind of cool. I think another thing for the Cubs is to see some of these uh, debuts. You know, we saw Hughes with the five strikeout performance in uh, one and two thirds innings on, uh, on Tuesday night. And then you saw Christopher Morrell probably delivering one of the biggest moments of the season so far with uh, being able to hit his first homer at his first at bat and a long one at that. I think the Cubs are, you know, it is kind of ho-hum because they're about where I thought they might be. Maybe just a shade under where I thought they might be. I envision them being at about 73 to 78 wins coming into the season. That's about where you think they're going to be right now. It is going to be a lot of season of firsts on the north side because they have a lot of young players. Or I don't know about young players, but just players getting opportunities um, for the first time. I'm right there with you with Seiya Suzuki. I, I think that he's fine. I think the best thing that happened to him was having that hot first week. Because mm -hmm. forgive me, I'm going to date myself, but I know you love Chicago sports history. I mean, go back to major marquee signings for the Chicago Cubs in the years. From a Milton Bradley to a Moises Alou, who gets off to a rough start. The fan base kind of turns on them a little bit, and it's a struggle to kind of find find that baseline, to try and get above water. Of course, Mo Moises Lou ended up going off and doing that. Uh, Milton Bradley was unable to do that, and mm -hmm. I want Seiyu Suzuki to succeed. I didn't. I think him hitting 170 in the first month was going to be tough maybe on a fan base, so I'm glad that he kind of leveled that off a little bit. You mentioned something about the pitching staff, and – I think uh, perhaps this could be a reason for some optimism moving forward. I want to throw another name out there, like a guy like an Ethan Roberts, a guy like yeah. Keegan Thompson. I'm a huge mm -hmm. Keegan Thompson fan. I personally believe that he should have been in the rotation last year, just taking his lumps and just working through what it's like to get through a batting order two times and hopefully three times later on in his career. He's getting that opportunity now. I mean, is it possible that if you can walk out of this year, I'm not saying Wade Miley is a long-term solution, yeah. But if you can walk out of this year as the Chicago Cubs and say, hey, we got Steele, Thompson, Stroman, Hendricks that we feel kind of good about, and then you got a rotation of, I don't know, an Azalea and maybe an addition here and there, that is a pretty good start to a solid starting staff. And I think we both can agree they need to spend a ton of money in the offense. But starting pitching and maybe pitching in general could maybe be trending in the right direction this year for the Cubs. Yeah, and you remember Mark has is still down in the, in the minor league system as well. so he's Forever, still though. Is he coming? Yeah. Is Maybe he, he will. You never know. I mean, yeah. he's down there and you, you could see something out of that. I, I am encouraged by the, you know, you mentioned Keegan Thompson. That's somebody else I forgot as well. The bullpen has had their moments at times. And I think that there's been some optimism there. Uh, Alzali obviously is, you know, we haven't seen him yet. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what he's able to bring. Hendricks has had his moments of returning to form. Uh, we saw that certainly opening day. Uh, we saw that in the first game out in San Diego where, you know, he has his control, right. He's hitting his spots and he can be as effective as he was back in 2016 when, you know, he was, you know, what, one of the top three pitchers, top, well, top three in the national league, but certainly top five, I think in all of baseball, I think it's a decent, it's a decent start. And again, I think, 
it was a variable to me because I still think we see we there's more to see from Marcus Stroman. I think Stroman is someone who I think there's still a lot to see from him. Uh, we saw it in his last start uh, in Milwaukee, the, the two nothing shutout that he had to end that series. And you're going to see, I think, more develop with him. He gets a little bit more comfortable, gets more of a feel here in Chicago. I, he, to me, he's a wild card for the rotation. Not because I don't think he's going to be good. I really believe he'll be that based off what he's done recently and done in his career. But I wonder if there's even another level for him to take it to. And if he's able to do that, then maybe that does change the fortune of what this group as currently constructed can do. Before the season, I thought 73 to save any eight is where they could go. I thought the ceiling was somewhere around 83 to 84. Maybe they win a light NL Central, or maybe they pick up one of the wild cards in, in a weird year. I think Stroman's very interesting because I really think that he is someone with a tremendous amount of potential to not only be the face of the new franchise off of the field as the, the Cubs look to build their new core, but he was really good in New York last year and didn't get a lot of support. And if he's really able to find his potential as this year goes along, I'm really excited to see what he can bring. And, and if he can bring more, I think it's exciting. I think another guy for the rotation, Alec Mills. He will be adding in here in a couple of weeks. I'm curious to see what he'll do. And Miley, Miley had an outstanding start uh, at Wrigley Field this week. And, you know, obviously he works quite fast, which is a little bit different uh, to see it. But I'm, I, again, there, there are some questions. I think that there are some foundations with Steele, with Thompson, with Alzali. And if they can develop here a little bit, you know, again, an interesting season could be ahead. Is it a championship run to the, who knows? It, it probably won't be. But at least it would make things interesting and a good development year for a team that is looking more global than they have in the past probably that day. Yeah, well, uh, Larry, I'll be honest with you. I had him at 65, 65 um, yeah. wins. Mm -hmm. I mean, because honestly, it's the it's the offense, and we're mm -hmm. seeing it a little bit. There's just no, there's no power. And uh, look, guys that you want to root for, but hanging my hat on Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom to combine for what you probably need, just to be fair, 140 RBIs between your third mm -hmm. and your first baseman typically. And that's yeah. being on probably on the lower end. Banking on those two guys producing that number, I just had my serious my serious doubts about that. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm right there with you on Stroman where – and look, hey, I'm still – forgive me if I can be a little loose here, but I'm still a Cubs mm -hmm. fan that thinks – I think in 2016 mode, right? And I still think about what these pieces could look like for the next Cubby core and the next Cubs contender – and I think Stroman is a really solid number two, mm -hmm. game two, game three starter in a legit playoff series. Maybe uh, before we hop off the Cubs, I'll just ask you, we were talking about the Cubby core a little bit. Um, you know, if you kind of read the tea leaves a little bit, not maybe what they need to do. I don't need you to make a demand or anything, but if you could kind of make a guess of how long this is kind of looking like it's going to take. Are you seeing there's kind of one school of thought that thinks that they're going to spend a ton of money next offseason, mostly on offense and rebuild this offensive lineup and maybe run it back with a lot of these uh, these starting pieces, these pitching pieces, and mm -hmm. see what happens? Or do you still kind of see more 2024, 2025? I mean, uh, are you giving Cubs fans hope or are you, are you preaching patience here? No, I don't know. I've been in the middle on what they're going to do. Remember, let me throw a variable out there. They've got a network now, and that network needs viewers. And the ballpark needs fans. And if there, you know, there's a lot of angst that's been developed among the fan base here in Chicago for a number of reasons for the Ricketts. There are a number of reasons that go outside the diamond, you know, obviously political, you know, the Recent, political recently as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of political and that, and that has drawn the ire of the fan base. 
But there's, you know, for more, you know, for those looking for the product on the field, the Cubs did not really show that willingness to spend that heavy money to really infuse that core with some really major players that maybe could have cracked that window open just a little bit. Now, it is fair to say the Cubs left that core alone in 2021, and they had what they had in them, which was about two and a half months, and then they, they didn't have enough anymore. I am of the opinion that I think the Cubs may spend a little earlier than people might think because they need to win now. You have set this bar for this franchise and where it is. You have changed Cub fandom and expectations forever. I can make the argument that that began in 2003 with the NLCS and that this lovable loser's thought process disappeared in 2003. I think a lot of Cub fans that I don't agree with that, that disappeared in 2003 because they tasted it so close and couldn't get it. And it changed the fan base in one way. 2016, for the better, changed the fan base's expectations. I don't think you can sit around and wait for a four-year rebuild. I really believe the Cubs have one year, maybe two years to do this. This has to be a retool because the Cubs have a network that people need to watch and the Cubs have a ballpark that they need to fill and the Cubs have a neighborhood that they need to put fill as well because there's a lot of new businesses there that came up after 2016. I live around there. You've got to have people there. So I really don't think that the Cubs can afford to take the Theo Epstein rebuild that they had back in 2011 when the patience was there. It's not there anymore. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Cubs spent heavy next year. I really wouldn't be shocked at all if they did that. Could they wait? Yeah, absolutely. The Ricketts could say, let's let's save more money. They could do that. I don't think they can. I think they, they've got to find a way to put a competitive team on the field now and be the big market club that they established themselves as during the middle of the Epstein era. My personal opinion is I think this kind of started the kick the can the road uh, business kind of started in 2019 and they couched it with, well, the arbitration numbers are going up, which is inflating our payroll, which isn't actually really spending on outside sources to complement this cubby core. And, and if I can illustrate, you said Cubs fans changed their expectations. I would also say the organization themselves said we are changing these expectations. And when I look at the Cardinals, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Braves, to some extent, they did have that lull for a little while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some franchises out there that can do, you know, run out above 500 teams and be in contention. They're not winning the World Series every single year. But these guys, when they stay down, they don't stay down for long. Nope. When the Red Sox are down, they're down for one year, and then boom, they're right back around. And even if it isn't the young kids that are coming up and their prospects, they go out and they sign a bunch of professional 30-year-olds, and they put together an 88-win team, and they compete. And I think that's what Cubs fans should expect from the Cubs, Cubs organization moving forward. And I, I find it really funny, and, and I, I'm sure you talk to tons of Cubs fans, well, some of them are buying in on this whole rebuild thing, and it blows my mind. I feel like Cubs fans are conditioned almost to be like, well, you know, like the easiest thing to do is just to start it all over again. And in my opinion, and you you illustrated so perfectly, after the World Series, those days are over, right? <laughs> those days of try, like, hey, let's try and go for it in 98. Let's spend a little money in 99. Doesn't work. Cash it in. Let's be bad for a couple years. You know, I, I don't think the Cubs fans uh, should expect that, and I don't think the organization should do that anymore. No, and I don't think so. And I think they need to start in one place, and that's extend Wilson Contreras. I believe that Contreras is a foundational piece of this franchise. I mentioned him being probably, if I think of the most positive thing right now for the Cubs, it's Wilson Contreras. Uh, He is showing himself, continuing to show himself as a leader. He's been productive at the plate. 
efficient behind the plate as he obviously takes on a lot of these younger players. And I think that he needs to be at the forefront of where the Cubs are going to be going with this new core. Someone had to stay behind. I had always made the argument. I thought it would be Javier Baez. I really thought that Javier would be the guy that would stay around. It didn't happen. They apparently they were close in 2020 to an agreement. It didn't happen. Wilson Contreras has to stay around the foundation behind the plate. You don't know what's coming up in the minor league system. I don't know if anybody's going to match Contreras. I think he's that's where it starts for me. You've got to start. You've got to sign Contreras to that long term deal. It's imperative, in my opinion. He's not only productive, but he's a leader on the franchise, and he's won a World Series. He can show the way for this new group while also providing a link to where they were, because I still think that core is going to have a special place in Cubs fans' hearts. It always will. They broke a 108-year championship drought. Signing Wilson Contreras for me is priority one. I wish it would happen before the end of the season. I don't think it will, and I don't. I hope they don't trade him, because I really believe that they need to have him here. If they trade Wilson Contreras, that's a move I I really wouldn't like even if they are far out of contention i'd rather see them make another kind of move before moving wilson make wilson a piece to what your next core is going to be i completely agree with you and look my my old adage is basically in baseball i don't prioritize catcher that much because of how hard it is to find elite catching you know so basically it's like make your lineup and then plug and play try and find someone defensively to make it happen but in this particular case wilson Contreras is an elite entity behind the plate not just offensively but defensively he's young enough and he's a leader in the clubhouse he's got all the ingredients he checks all the boxes and something that i like to say is you know there's there's stuff in sports sometimes where when you get rid of a guy like wilson Contreras. The only thing that you're going to be doing is trying to find the next Wilson Contreras. Mm -hmm. And I will say as a comparison to, I felt this way about the Chris Sale trade. Now look, Chris Sale, Kopech and Moncada. I'm on board. I agree with you. But it's also very fair to say that the White Sox are still looking for Chris Sale. They They think it's Lance Lynn, but guess what? We could have used Chris Sale in game one against the Astros, correct? And I mean, so it's hard to kind of make those decisions. And I totally understand when these general managers do this, how hard it is. I think the Contreras thing is just the same situation where if you trade him away, you're always going to be looking for someone just like him and you might not find him. Yeah, and that's why I think he's got to stay. That's the one. If I had to pick one move, and there are some people who say, hey, let's trade him, get more. No, I think he's got to stay. You've got to have him for, be the yeah, – that's what? the foundation. A, yeah, for what? A bag of beans, Larry? And just for hope, what? and, you know, in two, three, four years, the 19-year-old kid turns into a 23-year-old star. We've got that already. I, yeah. I, I'm in complete and agree with you. we got a couple topics left here with WGN yeah. Now and WGN TV's uh, Larry Hawley. Uh, let's switch it over to Gridiron real quick. Uh, Larry, i got to do it because Twitter demands me that I do. Um, Do the Bears not believe in Justin Fields? Is this mid-May malarkey? Um, What is your take on this? Because there have been some articles from some very smart people about Mm -hmm. how moves subsequently in the draft and free agency signal that they do not believe in Justin Fields. I I feel like they're two different conversations. Where do you land on it? I think for me, it would be really, it's very premature for me to say that they don't believe in Justin Fields, mainly because there is so much that needs to be built on this roster that I don't really know where you start. I I actually agreed with the two defenders. I agree with the two defenders to draft that they did draft two starters. They drafted two starters and they felt like that there was not a receiver that was going to be there, or there was not an offensive lineman that was going to be there that they needed to pick two starters. You have two defensive starters. I fully expect Gordon will start opposite of Jalen Johnson. 
I fully expect that Brisker, who I think could be a really, really good steal in the draft, is going to start next to Eddie Jackson. There's your secondary. You're probably going to extend Roquan Smith in the offseason. And then you build from there. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do. You know, defensive line is a little bit interesting. You know, with Ogunjobi out of the mix, Akeem Hicks could end up coming back. I mean, he's still unsigned, so maybe that that could really happen. I, I thought Hicks was a critical part and often sometimes overlooked critical part of that Bears defense that was number one in the NFL there in 2018 and in a lot of ways for 2019, when, but he got hurt too much. The, 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 the health, and it, it just became too much. You know, in 2019, I think if Akeem Hicks is in the lineup, I think that Bears team, despite all that had happened, probably sneaks in the playoffs because I thought that's how important he was. Getting back on topic, though, I really believe that this organization is still behind Justin Fields. I still think there's a tremendous amount of potential that was untapped. There was a tremendous amount of potential that Matt Nagy just, they couldn't get it to work for whatever reason. There's so many reasons you can go into it, but Matt Nagy never found the 2.0 in his offense and it wasn't going to happen under Justin Fields. He went in with a terrible first year. You had Allen Robinson who dealt with some injury problems and was coming off a very, very rough 2020 in which they couldn't come together on a deal. I think Allen was a professional. I think he did what he could. And he played a big part in what I would easily consider to be Justin Fields' best game, which came on that Monday night in Pittsburgh. And they, they were hitting at that time. It is weird that the Bears maybe didn't try to go get that one super receiver or that one great lineman just to help out. But really, was that one great receiver, that one offensive lineman really in their budget, really what they could do? Probably not. That's why for me, it's hard to say that the organization doesn't have faith in Justin Fields, because I just don't know if it was really there for them to really go out there and go get a ton. Did I think they get more? Did I think they get another receiver? Yeah, I'd be fair to say that if I thought that would happen uh, in the draft. Uh, I thought they would go get another person like that. It, to me, it's too hard to judge for me. It really is. I, there can be arguments made, hey, we don't believe in him. But this is a player with a lot of potential who the Bears have invested draft capital in. Remember, they didn't have a first-round pick this year because they, they selected him. And I really think there's a lot of potential there for Fields. And I just, it would seem really premature for them not to believe in him. I just, I don't believe it. Maybe we'll be proven wrong, but I don't believe it. And I think that Justin with Luke Getze, I think, for me, Luke Getze, he is the acquisition for Justin Fields this year. He is the guy who is there that has been brought in to shape what the offense will be with him and shape the team going forward. For me, the biggest acquisition was Luke Getze. And maybe that was going to be right from the beginning because the budget and the draft capital simply wasn't there to bring in that offensive lineman or bring in that guy at receiver who was going to elevate quickly i know what paul said he need to get him weapons i think he did what he could with what he could and i think that that's the case and i think you're bringing up a great point where obviously they targeted getsy to be that uh that marriage with justin fields to take him to that next level so i agree with you that's completely critical yeah it's funny you know again it's mid-may right now we got months until training camp even opens let alone week one of the nfl season so this is uh, like that book where the wild takes are, basically, mm -hmm. uh, with what's going on here. I completely agree with you about the defenders. My favorite part about it is if they both turn into starters, Brisker and Gordon, 
My favorite part about it is typically, and we got $150 million in cap or maybe even more heading into next season. We're eating a lot of dead money this year. My favorite part about it is typically when you go out and you sign guys in free agency at those positions, they're usually 28 and 29, and typically you wildly overpay for that type of position. So if they can shore that up and figure that out, I think that bodes well for their cap moving forward. In terms of Justin Fields, I was on uh, um, Believe in Bears earlier today with Corey Wooten. Mm-hmm. We were going through the schedule. We were ripping through it really fast. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's funny, uh, Larry, that I think I think people are maybe underselling. I don't know about a breakthrough season. I don't know about a major jump for Justin Fields. But if you go through the schedule one by one, mm-hmm. I can make a compelling case that 13 of the 17 games that they're playing, Justin Fields is either an equal – or perhaps a better quarterback in the matchup. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, and I, I'm sorry, it might be actually six because I, I still put Kirk Cousins ahead of Justin Fields based on pedigree, production. I know a lot of people like to bang on him, but let's just let's be honest and let's be fair there. So two for Kirk, two for Aaron Rodgers, and then we have, um, gosh, I'm blanking on what the other ones were. Dak Prescott was another one. Yeah. And, and you know, that's kind of it. Everything <laughs> else, Carson Wentz, Davis Wells, Davis Mills, a Trey Lance, uh, you know, I mean, it's not that far off. So I'm with you that I think Justin Fields can succeed, and we might see a little bit better results than we want to believe. My only one to you is that we have to believe this isn't over for polls, right? Because I just can't wrap my head around polls sitting at that podium saying, we're going to remake this offensive line in my own image. We're going to change <coughs> bo- we're going to change body types. We're going to do zone, you know, we're going to do zone run blocking schemes. Yeah. And then he only goes out and picks up Lucas Patrick, and he's going to bank on Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins, Ryan Pace's guys, to be the pillars of that offensive line. That part doesn't match up to me just yet. Well, I, I'm very curious to see, because there's a lot of guys that have been brought in. You know, you, you brought in Dakota. You've had a couple other free agent right. pickups that you've had. I, the, the offensive line is it's a puzzle. I think Patrick's a good pickup. I don't know where the future sits for Cody Whitehair or Sam Mustafer, who were your guys that were there in the middle, uh, you know, earlier this year. James Daniels is gone. He's off to Pittsburgh. I'm really curious to see what Tevin Jenkins will do. I think Tevin Jenkins is a real wild card here because you really didn't get a chance to see much of him last year. And by the time he showed up, the season was about over and he was really just getting his, his reps out there. If his back can stay healthy, and he lives up to his potential, which I think could have been a first-round pick, but the back may have been an issue. That's huge. So I think he could be there. What will Borum be? You know, Borum, uh, when he was in Missouri, was a guard tackle guy. Where is he going to end up being on the line? It's very wide open. I, I am a little surprised that there wasn't maybe a more firm signing when it came to offensive linemen. Maybe there will be. That's probably the place that I kind of maybe thought they might make a bigger splash was with the offensive line because Justin Fields wasn't protected all that well last year. And he was sacked a lot. And there's a lot of other things to it. Justin was learning where to go, how to do that. And I think the scheme didn't help him either. So there's a lot of reasons for there. But I don't really know where the line's going to be. I assume Patrick's going to be your center. I don't you know. He has a little bit of a flexibility there as well. But maybe they want to establish, hey, you've got, I always call it the battery. You've got the battery of him and Fields. And that's where you start. And after that, really what's out there. I mean, I, I assume white hair probably is an inside track uh, being on one of the guard positions after that, you know, who knows it's very wide open, but I kind of agree with you. I thought there might be a more of an impact signing at the tackle position, but I'm not ruling out what, especially what Jenkins can do. I think Jenkins could be something could be a, 
a, a tackle there that could do something. I think Borum could be there as well. Maybe that's why Poles didn't go out there and do it. Maybe there's something that he's seeing on the tape that works. It, it's like the whole team itself, Joey, everything is open. There are so many wide open things outside of really a couple of positions, quarterback, running back, your middle linebacker with Roquan Smith, Jalen Johnson, your cornerback, and Eddie Jackson is your safety. <laughs> outside of that, I mean, Cole Kmet will be one of the tight ends. Outside of that, open, you know, Robert ca- Quinn, open casting Robert call. Quinn. No, Robert, Robert Quinn, of course. I think you, you yes. kind of forget oh, yeah, about yeah. Robert Quinn because you almost thought he would get traded at one point. That's it. You've got you've got Quinn, Smith, Johnson on defense. You have Montgomery, Fields, probably Patrick, and then and then Komet on offense. After that, and they got a kicker. And Cairo you know, Santos. Cairo Santos. <laughs> the, new punt, the new punter. Yeah, yeah. We'll isn't, it, isn't, it fun, isn't it funny after that playoff loss? What's the one position you don't have any question about coming into this year? None whatsoever. <laughs> the kicker. And, and, the line, and the middle linebacker and, and, and with Robert Quinn. Incredible. It's funny how that all that chaos, all that drama that yeah. I think sabotaged the Nagy era. Yeah, and the Doctor Strange or Doctor Nagy multiverse is what this yeah, is. It's completely flipped on itself. That's another discussion for another day. That I believe that the Bears' obsession with the kicker cost them dearly in a year in 2019, where I think even with their if their offense was just a little bit better, that defense was still pretty good. They went eight and eight with no offense whatsoever. You know, and that's how and no Hakeem Hicks for what six games. He probably yeah. had more than that, and he I still mean, almost, they still were in the playoff race till the final two weeks. I don't want to. I don't want to open up a can of worms, but I will say, Cody Parkey going on Good Morning America, I think pissed them off to no end. Mm -hmm. And I think think emotionally, emotionally, they made a short-sighted decision. And uh, look, the guy missed nine or ten kicks that year, right? I mean, it's a lot. Bad year. Bad year, right? But I mean, what do you? What does it say about your investment in him the year before uh, that you're tucking Mm -hmm. and running? And yeah, they made they made a real knee jerk. And then they try to make a. A bit of a sideshow uh, circus about it. Uh, but, we're going through another, the, yeah, yeah, go for here's it. Here's another debate. If Cody Parkey doesn't go on that Today Show, I'm not necessarily sure he's not back. I, with how much money they put into him, I know some people have said I'm nuts for it. I'm not necessarily sure they don't give him a chance of redemption and don't have him something there. Because considering, considering the investment they made, it wasn't like a two-year deal Right. Where he got a $3 million signing bonus. I mean, he got $9 million guaranteed, and they had him a four-year deal. And I think if he makes the kick, my other thought is if he makes that kick against the Eagles, barring a terrible miss in the Super Bowl, he probably kicks for the Bears through last year. I don't think they would have made a change. No, I completely agree with you. And I think uh, for better, for worse, and I think Bears fans would say for worse, that Ryan Pace's uh, belief and faith in the players that he acquires and signs and trusting through the process and not each year looking at things objectively and neutrally, uh, uh, kind of burned them at times. And the one time that he didn't do that, him and Nagy was with Cody Parkey. I mean, we yeah. can look at the the Adam Shaheens of the world and, and the yeah. guys, the Jimmy Graham brought Jimmy Graham back for seven million last year for twenty three catches. Uh, you know, it can go down the list. Jermaine Effetti, guys, they just kept bringing back yeah. over and over again. But Cody Parkey was the one guy that apparently was a, a bridge too far to cross. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? it, again, it's a it's weird how that one play really wrecked the whole era. I mean, I know they made the playoffs in 2020, and I'm not trying to be. I, I'm not that person to take stuff away from people. 
I, I thought they had a nice rally late in the year. I thought they took advantage of the schedule that they had. And I'm not trying to poo-poo and on Arizona, them. Arizona and thanks Arizona too, as well. Yeah. I don't want to poo-poo. Yeah. I don't like to poo-poo that kind of stuff. Cause it, you know, I mean, they did make the playoffs, the extra seat helped. Yeah. I mean, and I thought that they had at least a little bit of improvement on offense late in that year. But they weren't really going to do much there. It's a shame they actually played that. They played the Saints pretty well in the wild card game. I thought their defense, that was kind of the last hurrah of that defense being what they were. Um, and I'll never so forget. Slide, sliding doors, Javon Wims catches that uh, beautifully constructed trick play. Credit mm -hmm. where credit's due. I mean, that was the yeah. perfect call at the perfect moment. Great yeah. throw by Mitch. Good call by Nagy. Javon just needs to catch that, and yep. the whole momentum of that first half changes. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the – and now, I mean, let's think of trick plays after 18. That's probably number one. And it just, if it, it encapsulated the whole era in, in some ways where there was some great creativity early and then late, they just kind of dropped the ball. Final one for Larry Hawley here on Bet on Chicago. Uh, this doesn't need to be a long form conversation, but I was, I was honestly, I was thinking about this today and I just wanted to throw it at you. And I don't think we'll come up with an answer today because Larry, I've thought about this over a thousand times and I've been on one side of the fence back and forth over and over and over again. So I don't know if there's a right answer, but as of today, mid May, May 18th, 2022, did the Chicago bulls lose the Jimmy Butler trade? Ooh. Today, wow. as of today, when you're starting to think about what Jimmy's doing, where he is, and everyone says, you know, Jimmy didn't want to be here. That's, that's an indictment on the organization. Correct. I mean, this guy is, this guy's a winner. We don't know what's going on with Zach. Laurie's no. gone. Chris Dunn. As of today, did the Bulls no. lose that trade? Wow, there's a lot of layers to that. I could make I the know. argument. I could make the argument the Bulls lost the trade before they made it by yes. not uh, by not maybe parting ways with Gar and Pax when it became apparent that what they had built in the Rose era was gone. I think it could have been lost before it happened. Was Jimmy going to work in Chicago? With Gar and Pax at the helm, I don't know. I don't know if I had enough trust in the fact that they were going to be able to build a team around them. They tried the three alphas thing. And what did the three alphas get them? Two really nice playoff wins over Boston in Boston. Mm -hmm. If Rondo's not injured, maybe Different they won that series. And if, yeah. I'm trying to remember who they would have faced next. I think it would have not been inconceivable for them to maybe make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not trying to stretch it. In, in many ways, I mean, the Bulls maybe in many ways lost the, the, the Butler trade before they made it. You know, there were just so many errors made in trying to build the team and drafting. If Jimmy stays, if they don't trade him, do the Bulls build around him to build a winner? Would Jimmy well, do, they, do they build it properly is the other question too, Larry, which no, is probably the answer know. is no. Yeah. No, I don't know if they build it properly. I think that the Butler trade was lost before they made it. But I think that the way that they can even out the trade, in my opinion, I think is to bring back Zach. I think you, I think Zach has been a really good member of the Bulls through a really difficult time of the franchise where they were really, they were rudderless there for a little while. And, and the interest in that team waned going back to the days in the post dynasty. And, but that was kind of expected at that point. You knew it was going to be a rough couple of years. And eventually the Bulls did kind of pull themselves together. You knew it was going to be that. I really am of the opinion, maybe I'll take the opinion, I think maybe the Bulls lost the Butler trade before it was made. But if Levine stays around, and I think he will, and the Bulls are able to build something special, 
then I think they even it out. I think Jimmy went to a play, found a place where he could work, where he could contribute for a long time. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the Timberwolves got a playoff year out of it. You know, Jimmy went to the Sixers, didn't quite work out there. I've always made the argument in business or in anywhere else that sometimes it takes the right place yeah. for the right person to become something special. And Jimmy has done that in Miami. So it's really, I, I don't know if I can give you an answer as to who lost, who if the Bulls lost the Butler trade. I think it's still inconclusive in my mind. And if you, if you want to think of the Bulls losing it right now, they actually lost it before they made it. In not being able to show signs that they could build a team around what we are now seeing as an NBA superstar and do it properly. Would you have had the faith in 2017? I asked this to any Bulls fan. Would you have had the faith in 2017 if the Bulls said, we're going to hold on to Butler, we're going to let Wade, and we're going to let, uh, we're going to let Rondo walk? Do you have the faith they would have done it? Probably not. I, I would say that, again, I'm sorry, man, long-winded answer. No. It's inconclusive because I still think that Zach can be a special part of a new Bulls core. And I think that he has done yeoman's work here in a difficult stretch for the Bulls. And it's a shame he had some knee problems later in the year because I think he could have really shown what he could have done. And I think if Lonzo had been around, I think the Bulls would have been able to be a little bit better, have a little bit better showing in the playoffs. Are they going to win the NBA championship, the Eastern Conference title? Probably not. But I think that they would have certainly showed a little bit more what they could do and give management a better chance to see what they need to add here moving forward. Yeah, I just ask myself these questions because um, everything that happened in those moments, I completely agree with. But then it does beg the question of why can't we do things like the Miami Heat do things? You always ask yourself, I want to compete with the most elite organizations that every year churn out winners after winners. Maybe not titles, but winners. Yeah. And I was asking myself, you know, you have this Tibbs culture, which Jimmy fully bought into. Mm -hmm. You got rid of Tibbs. You moved in a different direction. I don't think that they had the infrastructure the want to or the cachet to probably bring in other players. I don't think they had the smarts to go out and find a guy like Bam Adebayo yeah. or to keep a guy like Max Struess, right? Yeah, and there you go, another bull. I mean, there you go. I mean, that's a, yeah. It's just there's so much there. So I, I if if it people if if you were to make the argument the Bulls lost the trade, I'd make the argument they lost the trade before it was made. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And then I guess like my my one thing with Zach. There's a lot that are out there, right? I mean, uh, Zach sign and trade for Anthony Davis. I'm probably a no on that. Zach sign and trade for Bradley Beal. Probably a no on that. Zach for LeBron James. I'd have to think about it for a couple seconds, but then I'm probably a no on that. The only one that I'm thinking of, no one's talking about it, is Zach sign and trade for Damian Lillard. I would have well, to honestly was... really think about that one hard because mm -hmm. I think Damian Lillard's got – three or four really good years left, and he's yeah. a guy that goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best in the game, and yeah. I think he would improve our title chances greatly. That's an intriguing trade. I think if he, if they were able to do that, that's that's a very intriguing trade, and I think uh, I think Lillard has – he has that – he has that it potential. He comes up with, with you know, great moments at great times. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe uh, in 2021 uh, when he came to Chicago, he pulled off one of those Reggie Miller kind of finishes – uh, that Reggie had in New York in 1995. He did. He did. I, I wanted to think that, you know, it's funny because all these years kind of get mixed up, but I remember Lillard had an incredible finish. I want to say it was, it was a three and maybe a, it was a three and then a game winner. I wish a three I of the buzzer. Yeah. And then yeah. it was from the right I, corner yeah. and it was, was an inbounds play. Yes. It was a very weird, but it was a very Reggie-esque finish. And 
I think DeMar can be that guy, but you add in Lillard there. That's a really intriguing trade. I, yeah, I, that, that is probably the only one I would do it with. I have a tremendous amount of respect for LeBron James. I am curious what he'll be able to offer a team later in his career. One that, you know, I think the Lakers could be that the Lakers are the Lakers. They do those kind of things and, and they could find a way to do it. But yeah, you're right. I, I think for me, a sign and trade for Zach would have to be very inspired. Lillard is that, I mean, it's a great point, Joey. That would be an inspired trade where you look, oh, okay. Like, that's interesting. That would be a very inspired trade. It's the only one, in my opinion, that goes, I'd trade it, the 27 year old for the 32 year old and, and yeah. roll it back. It's uh, Larry, yeah, Larry, we got to get you out of here. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, please uh, toss out your socials. You are always welcome here on this pod. We love your work, but please give the socials out to the audience so they can check out all your content because uh, you're, you're putting out content constantly and you are a must follow in, in that business. Well, I appreciate the, the warm sentiments and same to you, Joey. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at L Hawley. That's L H A W L E Y 80. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Holly Sports, H-E-W-L-E-Y, sports, all one word. Uh, Facebook, it's Larry Holly. Come by, friend me, say hello. Don't be mean. That, that would be nice. But if you, <laughs> you disagree with my take, if you believe the Bulls 100% lost the Jimmy Butler trade or 100% won the Jimmy Butler trade, uh, that's fine. Uh, work is also WGNTV.com slash sports and WGNTV.com slash WGN News Now. We will be debating the Jimmy Butler trade until Balcony Brew Review 2039, Larry. Don't worry about it. That thing <laughs> we is have the thousandth episode. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for coming on the pod, my friend. Uh, be well. We'll hopefully have you back soon. Oh, awesome. Look forward to it. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago was presented by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you head to the website because they're going to have a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And also, I'm partnering right now with Baseball Lifestyle 101. If you go to BL101.com and type in promo code JoeySportsGuy, you will get 10% off all their amazing summer apparel and all the apparel that's on their website right now. Um, I'm super great and thankful to be able to meet those guys. That is a rising company in the business. Make sure you check them out and maybe get a little discount on my end too as well. Thank you so much for checking out this pod. We will be back with more. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.